If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. It'll be in 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading in verse 19 in just a moment. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 19. We'll also look at a passage out of 2 Kings chapter 5. So just be ready to turn there in a moment. Now, a couple of weeks ago, you might remember that we looked at the prophet Elijah and some of the uh, events in his life. And we looked at... Um, and some of the depression and despair issues that he dealt with and, and how that applies to us today. And today we're going to look at his successor, a man by the name of Elisha. A very similar name, similar ministries in some ways, very different in some ways. But, uh, but we're going to look at Elisha today. And you'll remember that these two prophets ministered during a time of rebellion in the nation of Israel. You remember Israel was, um, they, they had some ups and downs in their walk with God. And um, they, they, they were weak in their faith at this point. They were flaking their commitments. They sought to worship God as, as they should, but they also wanted to bring along uh, Baal worship and, and worshiping the Ashereth and, and so forth. And so God sent prophets, uh, namely uh, Elijah and Elisha during this time, to call the people back to God to worship Him and Him only and uh, to love and honor Him and, and so forth. Now where we pick up in the life of Elisha, is early in his ministry. The book of First Kings end with, ends with Elijah being taken, uh, closing out his ministry. At the beginning of chapter, uh, uh, the beginning of Second Kings, rather, Elijah is taken up to heaven. You remember that uh, he's going along. He and Elisha both know that he's going to be taken up to heaven soon. They don't know when it's going to happen. They don't know exactly all the details. But they, they keep going along, and Elijah keeps telling Elisha, just stay at this town, just stay at this town, and Elisha won't leave his side. He is, he is a devoted friend, he's faithful, and we all need a friend like that sometimes. And as they're going along, Elijah is taken up to heaven, the mantle falls to Elisha, and he begins to take on this prophetic role that Elijah once had. Now where we pick up in chapter 2, Elisha ends up in the city of Jericho. And that's where we're going to start our text. And you know about the city of Jericho, the walls came tumbling down and so forth. And as we read through this, these passages, I want, to make, I want to make clear that the focus of the text really is God. God is the hero of the story. He's the one that does the miracles. He's the one that, that does the mighty acts and the mighty deeds. And the focus of the text of Scripture is God. He's the one that does the amazing things. The power does not reside in Elijah. The power does not reside in Elisha. It is all an act of God. So that's the focus of the text. But I, I, with keeping that in mind, when we look at these things, I want you to see that Elisha dealt with some of the same attitudes that we deal with today. He dealt with many times people who were ungrateful. They didn't appreciate the help. And I want you to know that you're going to run across people in your life, that you're going to help them, you're going to minister to them, you're going to serve, you're going to do all these things, and you're going to run across people that no matter what you do, they are ungrateful. Have you ever dealt with somebody like that? I mean, you've, you, you, you do all these things for them, and it, it, at least with me, it really, to, to use the phrase of Yosemite Sam, it burns my biscuits sometimes. I mean, it, it, it just really torques me off occasionally uh, when that happens. And when, when that happens to you, I want you to know that's not something new. This is something that we all deal with. It's something that has been dealt with even back in the Bible times. And so I want to draw just a couple of lessons to keep in mind as we serve others. So if you found 2 Kings chapter 2 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 19 and uh, read down to verse 14. Or 24, I mean, sorry. 
It said, now this, these are the men of the city of Jericho. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees. But the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new jar, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. He went out to the spring of water, and threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. There shall not, from, there shall not be from there death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day, according to the word of, of Elisha, which he spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him, and said to him, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Then he looked behind him and saw them. He, when he looked behind them and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up forty-two lads with their number. He went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Turn over to chapter 5, if you would. We'll uh, start in verse 1. This is a separate incident. It says, Now Naaman, the captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The, Lord, uh, the man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now jump down to verse 8. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. Are not uh, Abana and Far Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now I want you to look back at chapter 2, and in, in our text, the first thing I want you to see is the problem. As I said before, Elisha is staying in the city of Jericho, and we all know about Jericho. Remember, Joshua led the people of Israel around Jericho as they uh, entered into the promised land, went around the wall, the walls came tumbling down, so forth. We all know that story. By this point in history, Jericho had been rebuilt. It, it was a prosperous city. It was a beautiful city. There were palm trees. There were date trees. It, it, was, it was a pretty place. But the problem was it had bad water. It had bad water. Now, now most likely, the, the, the Bible doesn't say how the water was bad, what the problem was with it, but most likely it was brackish. It was probably salty. The, the springs in that part of, of, of that country, even today, are salty. And notice how the water is described in the text. Verse 19, he says, The water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. Now, the word that, he, that, that is used here to speak of unfruitful, it means it brings barrenness. It brings barrenness. Now, evidently, the water was of such a condition that it caused the land to not produce like it could. They were evidently, there, there was evidently a, spring coming, a stream coming from the spring. The, the plants that they were trying to grow, the, the crops and things, they were not growing like they could because of the condition of the water. It may have caused issues with the livestock. It could even cause issues with 
the, uh, the humans, the, the wording says that it causes barrenness, and there could have been uh, some kind of birth issues going on. We don't know. But even if that's not the case, it was, it was causing things to not be as good as what it could. It was salty water. So Elisha has them bring a new container, and of all things, he says to put what in it? Verse 20. Put salt in it. And he takes the salt, throws it into the stream that's coming out of the this, of this spring, and God miraculously cures or, or purifies the water. Now it's clear this is a miracle because adding salt to food generally makes it better, right? Amen. I, you, my wife is a salt. She loves salt. Generally speaking, now does anybody do this? There are certain foods you can you can almost not have too much salt in, in my opinion. Like gravy, very rarely do I not put salt on gravy. And salt and pepper, it doesn't matter how much you have in it, I always add it. I don't even taste it a lot of times before I put it in. I know that's kind of hard-headed and not very wise maybe. But salt just tends to make things better. But it doesn't make water better. Have you ever gone swimming in the ocean and gotten a mouthful of salty water? You know that it makes water a whole lot worse. And yet here's this spring that's, that's bad. Presumably it's salty. Even if it's not, if you are trying to make water tastes good you might put lemon in it have some lemon water you might have lemonade you might uh, might seep some tea in it but you don't put salt in water to make it taste better but yet that's what he does so this is clearly a miracle of god and even if the salt had purified it in some sort of natural way it just would have purified the water that was there it wouldn't have been a would not have been a perpetual uh, purification now if you're like me i mean he says elisha says there's not going to be any more death or unfruitfulness that's come from this water. And I, I thought to myself, what about now? It's thousands of years later. Is that still the case? Because he indicates this is a perpetual thing. And there is actually a, a spring about a mile from that ancient city site called, I don't know how to say it, uh, Ain S. Sultan, that's described as a, a large fountain with sweet water. Other springs in the area, brackish, salty but that spring, even today, they call it, it's also called the, the, the prophet's spring or the spring of the prophet. Um, they're all salty, but this one spring, even today, is still purified. It's still sweet. Anyway, so Elisha does this miracle, does this thing to help the people of Jericho. Afterwards, he leaves Jericho and he heads to Bethel. Now, Bethel is, is, should be a, a familiar name to you because... Um, that's, that's a name that we come across many times in the Bible. But I want you to notice the first application that we can draw from this. As he's going up, these young people come out and they begin to make fun of him. And the first application I want to draw is this. Don't make fun of bald people. Now, listen, I've been follically challenged for a number of years. And I have been a preacher for a number of years. And for a long time, I've wanted to preach on this text and make that application. And some of you would be fitting in this category. Don't make fun of bald people. That is not the actual uh, application I want you to draw from this. It's just something that I, I want to just want to hammer because, you know, I've, I've been the butt of several jokes. But anyway, I'm not, I'm not bitter about it. I, 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 there you go. I, that, that may be better. Thank you. I'm the head of several jokes. Now listen, that is as tempting as it is to leave it at that, we're not going to leave it here. What I want you to remember is that sometimes people will, will return evil for good. Sometimes people will return evil for good. Now I want you to look at the text. As he heads to Bethel, he's going along, 
some lads, the Bible says, come out and start giving him grief. Now your Bible, there's one translation that renders this, some young children came out and started doing this. And you might read this, and in your mind you're visioning like kindergarten classes coming out and giving him a hard time about not having any hair. And you might think, well, this is, this is kind of extreme for little kids. This word can apply to young children like this. It's used, for instance, of Moses when he is a baby in the Nile. This word that's translated as young lads, this word is used of him then. But often, though, it's used of young men as in, like, military age. So Boaz, in the book of Ruth, he has servants out in the field, and they are called young lads, the same Hebrew word. Rehoboam, you remember he was Solomon's son. He took, took over the kingdom. He was a young man, same word. The young man who grew up with him, same word in the Hebrew. The spies that went into the promised land, despised out and ended up at Rahab's house in Jericho, same word that's used to describe them is used to describe these people that came out and were harassing Elisha. So these are not some seven or eight-year-old kids. In all likelihood, these are young men, military age. These are, these are people who knew better. And it could be that they came down from Bethel to meet him. Because Bethel, the reason I say it should be familiar to you, it's, it's a, a place that occurs several times in the Old Testament. But one of the things that we read about in 1 Kings is King Jeroboam. You remember he was trying to consolidate his power in the kingdom, in the northern kingdom of Israel. And so what he said was, you know what? Jerusalem and all the, all the people are going to want to go down to the southern kingdom of Judah and worship there. So I don't want them to go down there because they might decide, you know what? Since God's presence is down there, we should really be aligning ourselves with, him, with, with them. So what he said is, you know what? I'm going to make two golden calves because that worked out pretty good for us last time. And he put one in, the, in, in Dan and he put one in Bethel. And they had idol worship there, and they worshiped the golden calves in those two places. So it could be that these people that came out to meet Elisha were idolatrous young men from Bethel. I don't think that's probably the case, because you'll notice verse 24 says that he turned around and looked behind him and saw them. So my, it seems to me that these are young men that are coming out of Jericho. And for whatever reason, whether it's they, they heard all this stuff at home and they... They, uh, they, they decide to mock him, it, it, whether they were prophets or, or in the service of Baal or Asherah, or maybe they're just jerks, we don't know. But they came out and began to harass, began to mock Elisha. Now I want you to think about that. What had Elisha just done? He had just done them good. He had just purified the waters for the whole city. Their crops are going to be doing better because of what he's done. Their, their livestock are going to be doing better because of what he's just done. They are going to be able to have a, a drink of fresh water, and it's going to be fresh water, sweet water, not salty water, not, not bad water. He's done good to them, and what is their response? Their response is to return evil for good. Now, we, we, we know, we know his, what, what he did. He cursed them in the name of the Lord. A couple of she-bears came out, mauled 42 of them, and so, so there were at least 42. There may have been more. It says 42 of their number. So there may have, been, may have been even more than that that were harassing him. But, but I, I want you to see whatever the source of their, their problem was, whether it's stuff they're hearing at home because they're just jerks, whatever it was, they paid quickly for their impiety. 
Now, I want you to notice Elisha, because we look at this, and some of us say, well, that's pretty harsh for Elisha to do. But remember, Elisha is not in control of the bears. He cursed them in the name of the Lord. He may have just been simply announcing what God was getting ready to do, whatever it was. God was the one that was in charge of the bears. This was clearly a judgment from God. Now, I've, I've spent longer here than, than, than I intended, but, but what I want you to get is that sometimes you will do good to somebody, you will help somebody, maybe a group of people, and they will in turn do bad to you. They will do wrong to you. They will return evil for good. The late Dr. Adrian Rogers has, has noted that there are three levels of living. There's returning good for good and evil for evil. That's natural. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. That's, that's a natural way of living. That's uh, eye for an eye type living. There's, instead of returning good for good and evil for evil, there's returning good for evil. Somebody does you wrong, you don't retaliate. You bless those who curse you. You pray for those who mistreat you. That's not natural, that's supernatural. Okay, that's, the, that's higher living. But then, there's returning not good for good, evil for evil, and not returning good for evil, there's returning evil for good. That's not natural, that's not supernatural, that's unnatural. That's satanic. That's demonic. That's, that's when somebody does you good, and in, in, in return, you harm them in some way. That's what these guys were doing. And, and realize that when you do good to somebody, they may return evil for good. And so it's tempting when that happens to us. Our response then is to hedge our bats and say, well, if that's the way people are going to treat me, if all I'm going to do is get a bunch of evil in return for the good I'm doing... I'll just hedge my, hedge my bets and I'll just not do good to anybody. I'll just leave everybody alone. Maybe they'll leave me alone. I'll just not interact with people. But the Bible says, do good to all people, especially to those of the household of the faith. Paul says that in Galatians 6.10. And when we do this, listen, we are acting like our Heavenly Father. Because Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, In verse 45, that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain to the just, or the righteous, and the unrighteous. So the first thing I want you to see is that sometimes people will return evil for good. The second thing I want you to see briefly is that there's no pleasing some folks. There's no pleasing some folks. Now if you'll turn over to 2 Kings chapter 5. Verse 1 introduces us to a man by the name of Naaman. Now, probably if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably have, have, uh, have read about this event. Naaman was a military leader. Everybody thought he was the bee's knees. The king did. Uh, everybody thought he was just the best thing ever, including Naaman. You ever known somebody like that? They just think they're pretty special. They, they think that, that, that they need to be treated differently. They need to be treated specially that you need to pay them extra special deference. So here's this man. He's a, a military um, uh, commander, and he's had military success. He's, he's had victories and, and has led these military campaigns. And so, so he is, he's really up there. I mean, a lot of esteem in that culture. The problem was the Bible says he was a leper. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that leprosy, especially in the Old Testament, but, but really in the New Testament as well, it was a, a highly contagious and incurable disease. And if you contracted it, you were out of luck. You couldn't be cured except for divine intervention. 
It's the death sentence. And so this army that he led had captured a young Israelite girl, and he had made her his servant, specifically the servant of his wife. And so this, this servant girl, as they're just living life and she's serving and doing all these things, one day she says to her, to her, her mistress, she says, you know, I really wish that, that Naaman could go to Israel because there's this prophet in Israel and he could cure Naaman of his leprosy. Well, the word gets to Naaman, of course. And so he talks to the king of Aram. And Aram said, the king of Aram says, you know what, I'll send you to Israel. So he writes a letter to the king of Israel and sends Naaman out with it. Now this, this letter tells the king, basically, here's my servant Naaman, would you cure him? And if you can, you can imagine somebody coming to you and saying, hey, here's my friend who has cancer, would you cure him? You're going to say, I can't do it. And that's what happened with this king. The, the king of Israel got all stressed out because he thought that the king of Aram was trying to pick a fight with Israel because he's expecting the king to cure him and the king can't do it. So he tears his clothes in, in distress. And so then in verse, uh, verse 8, Elisha, where, that's where we picked up in our reading, Elisha hears that the king has torn his clothes and he says, you know what, you just bring old Naaman out here. And I'll take care of him. Now that's my, that's my summation. That's my paraphrase. So Naaman shows up, verse 10. He gets there with his entourage. There are horses and chariots. I'm sure there are banners. He's probably, if they had dress blues, he was probably in them. I mean, he was, he was, he was there and he was important and he was expecting some, some big event. He was expecting some big healing service. And he gets to Elisha's door, and you notice that Elisha, what does he do? He doesn't come out and do homage to him. He doesn't fawn over him like Naaman's used to. What does he do? He doesn't so much as go to the door to answer it. He sends, he, he sends his servant out and says, here's what he needs to do. Go watch the Jordan seven times. <coughs> now look at verse 11. Naaman finds out... He's getting kind of, he's not getting disrespected, but he's not having a fuss made about him. He storms off. The Bible says he's furious. Why? Because he thought Elisha would come out and do this big performance. He thought there'd be grandiose, I mean, that there'd be, there'd maybe be a a crowd, that he would make a, a big show about it. And his pride almost caused him to miss God's blessing. And pride will do that to each of us today, too. Now, he thought he was something important. He thought that he should be treated a certain way. And on top of feeling slighted by that, he says the rivers of Damascus are a lot better than the rivers of Israel because the rivers of Israel, namely the Jordan River, is perpetually muddy. So imagine you have a skin disease. Somebody says, if you want to be clean, get in the muddy water. And you do it seven times. You're going to think, well, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to go to the clean waters. And so verse 12 says he went away in a rage. Now, did he have a good reason to act like a petulant child? No. Because he knew Elisha was going to fix him because Elisha had said, if you want to be fixed, you come here. So that's the whole reason he was there to begin with. And so when he got there, Elisha didn't give him some task, you know, like find the Holy Grail, he said, just go down the river and dip in it. Not a hard thing to do, not impossible. 
he just didn't get the answer that he liked, and he especially didn't get get it delivered in the way that he liked. And listen, we that there are going to be some people that just like Naaman, you can't make happy. They can have a need, they can have some lack in their lives, they can have some deficiency in some place, and you can help them, you can minister to them. You know, there are some people. I'm just going to be frank. There are some people in life who are perpetual black holes. No matter how much effort, no matter how much time, no matter how much money, no matter how much uh, encouragement, no matter how much whatever you give, it's never enough. It's, they, are, they are vacuums. It's all take. There's never any reciprocation. It never goes out the other way. And there are some people who are not only that, but you can sacrifice, give your time, give your money, whatever it is, and the response is ingratitude. Maybe like naming it's anger. And, and thinking they need something bigger, think they need something better. What was Elisha's response? When he hears Naaman getting all worked up, does he go out and start arguing with him? Does he get all bothered by it? Well, the Bible doesn't say he did anything. He, he didn't let... He didn't let Naaman's response get to him at all. And what a lesson that is for us, because we can't control how somebody else acts. We can't control how somebody else reacts. Our job is not to control that. Our job is to be obedient. Now, I want to encourage you, because you may have gotten burned in the past, and you may have dealt with people, no matter what you did, you've, you've given, you've given, you've given, you've, you've, you've helped, you've, you've done all these things. And they were ungrateful, and it really just made you mad. In fact, you may have decided, you know what, if this is the way it's going to be, I'll just not help anybody. Now listen, you have to have healthy boundaries, because there are some people, you know, I'll just use money as an example, there are some people that you help them out with money, they'll bankrupt you, because they have, they, they have no self-control, they'll, you, give them, you give them some money to help pay the bills, and they're out buying a new car. I mean... There, 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 you have to have healthy boundaries. But listen, our job is not to, not to just shut everything down because we have a few people in our lives that are like that. Our job is to be obedient. Have you noticed how easy it is when you have helped people, how easy it is to focus just on the people that are ungrateful? You only focus on those people that, that, that are they're negative, that's never good enough. And it's so easy to forget about those people who you've, you've helped and they've been genuinely appreciative. You've ministered to them and it's meant so much to them and how encouraging that is, how, how filling that is. But we always tend to go just towards the negative, don't we? What's the Bible say? Do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. Paul says in another place, do not be weary in well-doing. That is what our charge is. And I just want to encourage you. I don't know if you're, you're facing these things or not, but even if you're not right now, one of these days you will be. Don't let those few negatives, those few difficult people, keep you from being obedient for everybody else. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes.
You know, in Scripture, leprosy in, in many ways is a picture of sin. And kind of like Naaman, as sinners, people have their own ideas of the best way to get clean. They want to add to what has been told them. But the way that you get clean is not by doing some mighty work. It's not by doing some impossible task. The way that you get clean is by being washed. Washed, cleansed, forgiven by the Holy Spirit. Brought into God's family. Adopted into His family. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you are still in your sins, listen, the Bible doesn't give us some impossible task to do. The Bible says to repent and believe. If you've never done that, I encourage you today to put your faith in Christ. And as you pray, you may have somebody in your in your mind that you've helped, you've ministered to, and they've returned evil for good. You've helped them and they spread rumors about you. You've helped them and they they will it, it just never ends. Maybe you need to forgive that person. Maybe you're on the other side of that. You need to set some healthy boundaries. Heavenly Father, thank you for, um, for your word which calls us to, to give, to help, to minister to others. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we, um, as we serve as we minister, as we um, interact with others, that you help us to be sensitive to your spirit. Help us to be sensitive to those times that we can help, even with just an encouraging word. Help us, even if we've been burned, to not let that jade us towards everybody else. And God, we thank you that that you don't base your giving to us on our worthiness. Because if you did, none of us would get anything, especially salvation. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and that you would save them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.